Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Okay, I want to talk tonight about the common danger that we all continually live in with the war that we have against the flesh. And um, there's a song that was in the uh, movie, the uh, fireproof movie. Y'all may remember the song was about the slow fade. And I kind of want to use that as a backup theme here tonight because I've been thinking so often how it is with any of us, how that you can drift, you know, you'd be doing pretty good. You'd be going pretty much in a straight line. Then, you know, you kind of cool off a little bit. You kind of get caught up in the world a little bit. You get busy, you get sidetracked, you get, um, you get distracted, you get uh, you, other interests enter into your life, other desires, and next thing you know, you have drifted, and it's just a slow fade. It's not like you jumped off of a cliff. It's like you just took a step down, another step down, slid down a little further, went a little further. Next thing you know, you're in deep trouble, and you, sometimes it's hard to even realize how you got this far. So that's what the theme of that song is about, is how it's, a, it's just a slow fade. And the things that we're warring against are really the desires of our flesh. And we're being tempted in the areas where we have weaknesses or we have tendencies already that are part of us, that we have a tendency to want to do the wrong thing. And so this war that we have, where he says, you know, take up the weapons of your warfare and do battle, this war that we have is ongoing. And it says Satan is roaming about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so he's not seeking to devour the lost and dead world because he's already got them. He's seeking to devour those of us that have decided we're going to walk with the Lord to the end of our life. In 1 John 2 verse 15, the writer there says this. John says, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh. Number one, the lust of the flesh. Number two, the lust of the eyes. And number three, the boastful pride of life. Now that covers everything about the flesh. So the question is, what's the world? It's not the mountains and the rivers and the trees and the flowers and the birds and the bees, is it? Is that's, that's not the world. The definition of the world that he's talking about here is this. It's referring to the world's philosophies. It's, it's referring to the world's values, the world's idols, the world's way of thinking about almost anything you can imagine. The world has its own way of thinking about it. It's also referring to the world's pleasures and the world's entertainments that it introduces to us all the time, especially in the last hundred years, we're entertainment driven. And also the world is referring to the world's false religion because Satan's even set it up in the world where you can have a dose of religion. You can have a form of godliness without having any power thereof and still think you're okay with God while all the time you're being destroyed. So it's also, the world is also the things that are contrary to the values of God, no matter what they are, no matter what the topic is, no matter what the subject is, God has his own way of looking at things, whether it's marriage, whether it's how you love your neighbor, whether it's what's fair and just, and the world has its way, which is usually the opposite. You see, the world is opposed to God's word and to his character concerning purity Holiness, righteousness, simplicity, humility, and godliness. The world is opposed to those things. So when it says do not love the world, it says do not love the things that are opposed to God. So what's in the world then? Well, we just read it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. 
So let's talk about the lust of the flesh. What is lust? A lot of people really don't understand what it is. Lust is a strong, carnal desire for pleasure. Lust can include things like greed for more than you need, coveting what others have, being jealous of anyone for any reason, having a love of money, having the love of entertainment, having a love of just taking it easy or being lazy is another lust. Having a love, a love for attention, wanting people to pay attention to you is, can be a lust. Having the desire for being accepted, which is a very strong problem for youth. They want to be accepted by their peers. They want to be accepted by their friends. And it's a strong lust. And also just for the general approval of men, we've got to really be careful that we look out for the fact that we do not want to end up having the approval of man driving our life rather than having the approval of God. So lust is having the love of anything that you find more desirable than pleasing the Lord or that is contrary to the Lord and to his word. So that's what lust is. It covers every kind of unlawful desire that a human can have. In Galatians 5 verses 16 through 20, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So here's, I'm going to stop right there. The lust of the world or the lust of the flesh is all about you getting to do what you want to do, even though it may be wrong. And the reason why we have to deny ourselves is, is we have these desires. We are born with the various desires of the flesh, but we have to say no to them by denying ourselves and taking up our cross and walking with God. To walk by the Spirit means you don't get to do what you want. You don't get to have your way because you're supposed to be pleasing God. But if you're led by the Spirit, then you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are things like immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, which is anything that you love more than God, or sorcery, which is taking mind-altering drugs or being affected mentally in a such a way through demonic activity that you're, not, that you're not clear of mind anymore. Or enmities, which is a type of hostility towards others. Or strife, which is having fleshly conflicts with others. Jealousy of others who are doing well, wishing you had what they had. Or having outbursts of anger, which is uncontrolled. Or having disputes, which are arguments, dissensions, which is separating yourself from the spirit of unity, factions, which is having stubborn and divisive opinions of your own about things, especially about the things of God, envying, which is even stronger type of jealousy, factions, which are just divisions and, and drunkenness, which, which we all know what that is. You can be drunk uh, on all kinds of things especially alcoholic things and drugs, and carousing, which is a party spirit, which, you know, this, there so many people want to go to parties and get all caught up in the, in the drinking and the carrying on at parties. That's what carousing is. It's a party spirit. It's of the world. And things like these, he said, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you before, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So the world is controlled by the lust of the flesh. The whole world is controlled by it. The world does what it wants to. It does it as it wants to, when it wants to, and strives in every way to get its way. And Satan is the God of this world. For an example, the world's music is promoting the lust of the flesh. It's, it's about how it sounds and how it makes you feel. And it, has, and it comes with a subtle message to cause you to look away from God and to be attracted to the addiction of it. You've got to be careful about the music you listen to. What is behind the music? Who is behind the music? What's it all about?
Most music, especially that is produced by the world, the God of the, God of the world who's Satan, is only for the lust of the flesh. If you keep on listening to it, you'll find yourself soon idolizing the person who made the music, even though they may be very wicked. Or you may find yourself idolizing the musician, the singer that participates in it, or how well somebody can play an instrument, thinking that he's wonderful because he can play so well. Or you may just idolize the music itself and how it makes you feel and sound. It's like being on a drug. It's very seductive. The world's movies are promoting also the lust of the flesh. Promoting, the for an example, the reverse roles of men and women. Look how, look how men are portrayed in today's movies and, their, and, and television programs from Hollywood. Men are portrayed as idiots and the woman is portrays, portrayed as the wise one in the family who saves the day, who fixes everything, solves the problems with the kids, pays the bills, works, and tells the husband what he needs to do. Which is exactly the intent of Satan that is to tear down the family and break down the order of God. So this is what the movies are portraying. And if you watch it long enough and listen to it long enough, don't tell me it won't affect you because it will. And if children watch it long enough, they're going to think that's a normal family. It's very seductive what's going on there. So there's other things like the movies are portraying children how to be disrespectful and disobedient to their parents. They're, and making their parents out to be imbeciles. They're old school. They just don't know. They don't understand. They can't figure it out. Parents are just stupid. So that's the way the movies are portraying it. So that children now are wiser than their parents, according to the movies. And also, the movies promote promiscuous uh, behavior, sexual immorality, uh, you know, immoral, Im immodest dressing, foul language, you know, violence to solve conflicts, transgender and gay lifestyles are being portrayed as the normal thing now. And virtually any other kind of deeds of the flesh are portrayed in Hollywood, on television, everywhere we go. So the movies are feeding the lust of the flesh. But it is subtle. Sometimes you may not catch it. But if you watch it long enough, it's going to affect you. So you got to be very careful what you watch. And Satan, again, is the God of this world. And he is behind the world's music. And he's behind the world's movies. The world is, the world's <coughs> has a lust for fun. The world is promoting fun and entertainment as being a necessary part of our lives. The world promotes all kinds of amusements to distract us from reality. Amusement parks with thrilling rides, cruise ships to escape reality, video games to carry us away from doing anything useful, and sports to satisfy that carnal desire that resides in mankind to conquer, to defeat, to overpower, and to devastate another person or a team of people. All of these things are designed by the God of this world, Satan, to promote the lust of the flesh. Not to mention our devices that we have that are new to this generation. Only a few years ago, there was no such thing as a cell phone, iPhone, Internet. There was no such thing if you, just a few years ago. I can remember when there were, were none. But now... We have screen time, games, Facebook, Instagram, all at our fingertips, internet, television, and music apps, all these things on our devices. Some of this certainly can be useful for good, and I certainly don't have a problem with that. Neither does God. But we've got to be careful that we don't become addicted to any part of these, of these systems because it can steal your time. It can ensnare your soul. It can captivate you if you're not careful and take over your heart. There's people that are addicted to their phones, that are addicted to Facebook, that are addicted to Instagram, that are addicted to these devices, addicted to all these kinds of things, video games. There's people addicted to this, this, this type of thing that are having to go to therapy 
Some people are losing their minds over it. Some people committed suicide because of things they read about themselves by their peers on Facebook. It's terrible what's going on. Satan is always trying to find something in any of us, something in our heart, something in our own uh, internal desire that he can get us to become obsessed over with anything that he could use to draw our hearts away from God. All that's in the world, the first thing it said was the lust of the flesh. James 1 verse 12 says this, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is being tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So you can't say that someone else made you angry. You can't say that someone else made you jealous. You can't say that someone else made you lazy. Or you can't say that someone else made you lust. Or that someone else made you do anything that's wrong. For each one of us is enticed and carried away if we are given to temptation by our own lust, by our own desire. Satan does tempt us, of course, but he only tempts us where he finds weakness or whether he or where he finds desire in us, in our own heart, in our own nature. He doesn't waste his time tempting a straight man, for an example, to be gay. Or, but he will tempt the straight man to lust after another woman. See, he goes after whatever is desirous to you. Satan doesn't tempt uh, someone who's not interested in music, like me. Have, I have virtually no interest in music. So he doesn't tempt me to listen to hard rock and roll. I won't listen to it. don't care if I think it's terrible. But he will tempt somebody to listen to it. That's into music. See, he's going to work with the one that he finds the weak spot in or the desire. Satan doesn't tempt a serious man who's serious about God, who's serious about life, who believes in using his time usefully. He, Satan doesn't tempt him to do video games. But he will tempt someone who has a tendency to want to be a player of games. But he may tempt someone like me to be impatient with those who do video games. So see, there we all have to watch out. No matter where we're at, we may be strong on one point and weaker on another. So the bottom line is we were commanded to flee from youthful lust. Flee from them. Don't test them. Don't try them and see how far you can go with them. Flee from them. See, we all have tendencies towards some type of weakness or sin. That is why the Lord said, in order to follow Him, that we must first, number one, deny ourselves. If, if, we, if, we, if we were automatically uh, prone towards righteousness and holiness without any question, without even any hesitation, He wouldn't have to say, deny yourself. But because we are prone towards various weaknesses and temptations and various sins that we are that are, you know, are, are so easily beset us. Then he said to if you want to follow me, the first thing you do is take up your cross after you deny yourself. First deny yourself, then take up your cross and then follow him. So the thing we have to do then is to, is to deny ourselves of that natural desire, that natural lustful desire, that natural tendency that we have in our own personal flesh nature, whatever it is. Now, the second thing that the world is all about, do not love the world nor the things of the world. The second thing that the world is all about is the lust of the eyes. So be careful what you let your eyes see and what you let your ears hear. Job said in Job 31 verse 1, Job himself said, 
I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze upon a virgin? Or the question would be, how then could you look at anything that could cause you to lust, no matter what it is? If Job had cable TV today, if he was here today and had cable TV and the Internet and an iPhone, he would have expanded the covenant he made with his eyes to be more than just a pretty woman. He would be saying, as a blameless man, I've made a covenant with my eyes to be very careful what I view with any of these products. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, he says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. In other words, now that you have eyes, you have things that you're not going to allow your eyes to see because you're denying yourself. But that's only half of the equation. The other half is, do not let my sayings, do not let what I'm telling you, do not let my word, do not let my ways depart from what you're looking at from your sight. So keep your eyes on things above and not on this earth. So don't let your eyes depart from the things God is saying because that's the way you keep from letting your eyes see the things they shouldn't be looking at. So keep them, that is the eyes, keep these things, these sayings of God, keep them in the midst of your heart. In other words, keep your eyes on the right things and keep the Word of God in the midst of your heart. For the wisdom of God, the Word of God, these things, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence. All diligence. Watch over your heart. It's like you stand guard. Your heart is there in this little place and it's kind of vulnerable. So you're not going to let anything take over your heart. So you're walking around your heart. You've got, you've got weapons of warfare and you're walking around day and night around your heart, watching it and protecting it from the ravenous wolves and from the, from the lions that would come to devour your heart and from the temptations that would come into your heart. You're watching over your heart with all diligence. You got your eyes open. You're watching. And he goes on to say, For from it, that is your heart, flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious, and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Now remember, we got to watch with our eyes what we're looking at and watch the path of your feet. Watch where your feet are stepping. Watch where you're walking. Be sure you're not walking into a bad place, a bad situation, walking in with a group of bad friends or a bad temptation. Don't walk into it. Keep your eyes on your feet and watch where they're stepping. And then all your ways will be established. So we need to keep our eyes on the Word of God. I'm not talking about just reading Bible scriptures or doing Bible studies. You know, we're supposed to have the Word in us. It says, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within us. You should know what God is saying. And the Word of God is not just Bible verses per se, or black and white ink on a paper. It's the heart of God. We should know the heart of God. You know what things are wrong, even when you don't have a Bible verse for it. You know God has written it on our heart. Keep our eyes on that word. You know when you're getting off a little. You know when you're making a compromise with the wrong friends. You know when you're doing something you really shouldn't be doing. You know when it's not really quite right. And yes, I do think you should study the word. And I do think you should have scriptures that you review and be reminded of. And I do think that you should meditate upon His Word day and night. His Word should be in your heart. It should be in your mind. You should have a renewed mind. And when, when things come up, you should compare whatever's coming up in your life to the Word of God that you know, to the Scriptures that you can refer to. Then you have the ability to say no. So by keeping our eyes on the Word of God and who God is, his nature, his character, how he sees things, what's right and wrong. Then we can watch out where we're walking. 
and will be able to withstand the influence of this present world. Proverbs 3, 21 through 23 says this, My son, let them, and he's referring to the words of wisdom that he's already mentioned in this chapter, My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep, your, keep sound wisdom and discretion, so, that the, so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck, then you will walk in the way securely and your foot will not stumble. So what did he say? He said, don't let them vanish from your sight. Again, either it's the lust of the eyes or it's the eyes fixed on the things above. You're going to fall in one of those two categories if you're not careful. So let me talk to you about what's going on in the eyes of Americans today, typically speaking. The sad thing is it's no different in the American church than it is in the rest of the world right now. And I certainly hope that's not the case with anyone here. The average screen time today for tweens, that is those between the ages of 8 and 12, is approximately 5 hours per day. The average screen time for teenagers is approximately 7.5 hours per day. These estimates include time spent on entertainment apps, music, video games, TV, and movies, but does not include screen time spent during homework or other edu educational activities. In other words, this is all just worldly stuff, not profitable stuff. So the question is, for us to talk to ourselves about here and ask ourselves this, how do you think this has affected our youth in America today when our children by the age of 12 have viewed roughly 33,000 hours of video games, worldly television, shows, movies designed by Satan to influence their thinking? How do you think that's affected them? Do you think this would present a problem if we as parents or elders or church leaders or Bible teachers would try to present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to them and persuade them to give it up and turn to the Lord with the whole heart? You think it would be a problem? 75% of teens now have smartphones. 50% of them say they are addicted to their phone. Teens send a median amount of 100 text per day. That means some are doing a lot more, some are doing less. Wh what's happening to us? We're, we're, the world has taken over, even the church. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with sending a text if it has a purpose. I mean, that's fine. I like the technology myself. It helps out a lot. Keeps me from having to drive somewhere and talk to somebody in person or maybe uh, try to get through on a phone call when the phone's busy. I can just text and that's good. You can use it for useful purposes. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But 100 per day with a teen that doesn't even have a business or kids to take care of or anything? What's going on there? So the question then is, what has the attention of our youth and our teens? What has their attention? Where are their eyes going to so often? If Satan's the god of this world and he's behind this, this process and the world is full of the lust of the eyes, What's going on? Is there any danger? And parents, do you really think about this? Do you limit giving children iPhones, so to speak, smartphones? And do you limit how they use them? Do you, do you keep up with it? Do you even think about it? There's a lot of potential danger there. I'm not saying never, never. I'm not making any rules or laws. I'm just saying be careful. There'd be a good thing to give a young person an iPhone if they're going into a situation where you want to keep in touch with them and keep them out of danger. Hey, that'd be great. Or they start driving for the first time and they're out alone in the car and they have to go to work or school or something and get stuck on the road. It'd be great to have one to get out of trouble. They have good useful purposes. But the problem is so often they're not always just used for good useful purposes. They get overused for the wrong purposes. So think about this. The average adult in America watches approximately four hours of television per day, plus another six plus hours 
on social media and the internet per day. That's more than 10 hours a day that the typical American adult spends behind a screen. And the question is, what if they studied the Word even a tenth of that time? What would it do for them? What if they spent a small fraction of time just praying and seeking God? What would it do for them? And since the average American now watches more than four hours of TV per day, which is 28 hours a week, or two full months of nonstop television during a year, in a 65-year lifespan, over a 65-year life, that person would have spent nine years of his life just on television alone, behind the tube of the TV, with a total of 23 years adding in internet and iPhone and social media and things like that. So he would spend 23 years of a 65-year life behind a screen. And do you think the Lord don't know what we're doing with our time? And do you think that we won't have to answer for that time? Are we seeking God? Are we looking after the souls of others? Are we discipling people in the Word? Are we doing anything to be fishers of men? We as a church, what are we doing? I'm not saying that this is all applying or even any of it's applying to anyone here. But we need to be aware of it so we can be awake and be careful. As all of us know, very little of what's on television is really safe to watch. Got to be very selective. For the most part, the average American spends nine years of their life watching mostly stuff with violence in it, sex in it, horror movies, non, just nonsense, silly, goofy stuff, and, and every other possible deed of the flesh that could be imagined coming through the television. Everything is there. Everything. And they spend another 14 years of their life playing video games, watching sports games, and viewing pornography. That's where we are in America. And it's no different in the American church. This has caused Americans, and to some degree all of us, to be somewhat desensitized. We're desensitized where we see something like that. We don't really flinch too much. We don't really like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they did that. We don't like react. It's like we, we've seen it before. We've seen, we've seen sex and violence and all kinds of crazy nonsense. We've seen all kinds of fleshly acts. And so when people do it, it's kind of like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, blink your eyes for a minute and let that go by or whatever. We don't think much about it. But we should. There was a time many years ago when we were young in the Lord and we had a, Reed and I were raising our kids. We have five kids and we were trying to do what's right and trying to figure things out. And we began to notice that the shows that we were watching on TV, some of them were really gross in the sense they were promoting all kinds of deception, lying, crookedness, uh, cheating. Uh, some of it was Im immoral acts that were referred to, uh, cursing, uh, people smoking, drinking, all kinds of things. And they were, there we sat as young Christians with our children in, around us in the living room watching this TV. And, we, and we, so we started trying to find channels and programs that were really not that bad. And so we kept cutting them out and cutting them out. And finally we got down to just one and it was a Little House on the Prairie. Then we saw the little girl that was the little snotty girl in the show telling the good little girl how she could deceive her parents. And we didn't want our, our kids to learn how to deceive their parents. So we just cut it all off. And we didn't, and, and we didn't, and the TV went on the blink or we got rid of it. I don't remember exactly what happened, but we didn't have a TV for, I guess, for about five or six or seven years. I don't even remember. And so when we finally did say, okay, we kind of went over, overkill on this. So we, we went and got a TV and we started it on for the first time. It's like, whoa, we couldn't hardly believe because we had, we had, we were now, not so desensitized. Now we were sensitive because we'd just been in the Word and been in some Bible studies and working with people for the last several years. And so when we turned the TV back on, we couldn't believe even the commercials were raunchy. And so then we back to the thing like, well, we didn't just get rid of the TV because it, there were some uses like we, we, we did want to keep up with some of what local news was and some of the national news and, and, and we wanted to kind of know what's going on there. And there were we tried to, and there was a few programs we found that were halfway decent to watch. And so we, we got very selective. But the thing is, we were we were stunned at how it really was. And see, because we hadn't hadn't seen it for a while and then we came back to it, our sensitivity had greatly increased. 
I, t- I guarantee you, we're all desensitized more than we think we are. In the movie Time Changer, the man who traveled to the future from the late 1800s, you might remember that if you saw the movie, you know, he, he uh, when he came to the modern times and he saw what was being portrayed as entertainment and how, how women were dressing and how people were acting and he was shocked. He saw the gross things that people were doing under the guise of entertainment on television and he was just stunned because he came from a time when those things weren't available and no one had that desensitization done to them. But the problem is almost no one is shocked anymore. So anyway, how insensitive are we now, any of us, to seeing these images, that these images of any kind on any kind of a show or any kind of media that promotes ungodliness? How, how insensitive are we? Are we insensitive or are we sensitive? If so, how much of either one? We might want to check ourselves on that. Remember, it's a slow fade. It, you just drift slowly. You get used to something, and then it's not so bad. Then you can go a little further, and then it's not so bad. Then you go a little further, and it's not so bad. And then you drift and drift and drift. Have we made a covenant with our eyes? What we're going to really look at and see? Are we really watching ourselves? And I'm talking to myself as well. I, I mean, we've got to think about this. So anyway, the second thing that the world is all about is the lust of the eyes. The last thing, the third thing that the world is all about is the boastful pride of life. Psalms 20 verse 7 says this, Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Proverbs 27 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another praise you. It says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. And Paul, in addressing this thing about the pride of life, says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, he said, For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not, not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So here's what he's saying. If, if any of us have anything, if we can do anything, if we, can, if, we're, if we have anything or know anything or can do anything, we're, if we're blessed with anything, if we have anything at all that's good, then we received it. We did not create ourselves, nor did we make ourselves able or wise or knowledgeable or mentally or physically capable. We didn't make ourselves like this. Only God did. So everything good came from God, and we should always remember that and to stay humble. For an example, using myself, I know that I'm extraordinarily gifted with many talents, but... I sometimes am tempted to be proud of myself. Then I am quickly reminded that I could not do anything or have anything or be able to have the ability to do anything apart from what God has granted to me. He has, God has so ordained my life in such a way as that I have turned out with the blessings and abilities that I have by His doing. Even just in the physical sense that he never allowed me all those years up until my 50s or 60s to ever be sick, ever be injured, ever lose a finger, ever be harmed or damaged in any way. So I could work like a mule or I would never have been where I was if I couldn't have worked. He even gave me that. I can't take credit for it. And so when I think about it in reality, I'm broken to tears I'm humbled, I'm grateful, and I realize that I'd be nothing without Him. And that's where we all need to stay. There's some people that are proud of their, their beauty or their, 
talents or whatever, those are given to you by God. Be humbled about it. David said in Psalms 100 verse 3, he said, Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter in his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And so the Lord addressing Job when Job was kind of feeling sorry for himself and making some complaint through all of what he had gone through. He was working through it. And so his friends had been talking with him. He'd been talking with them. and They'd had these long discussions back and forth while he while Job was suffering. And so finally the Lord addressed Job. And here's what he said. There was many things that the Lord addressed him about, but here's a few of them. So the Lord asked this question of Job, or these questions, and he could very well ask these same kind of questions to any of us. He said, now gird, the Lord said to Job, now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you can instruct me. You know, we think we know so much sometimes. We think we're smart. We think we're so wise. And especially teenagers think they know more than their parents. They know more than their elders. They think they're born wise. You know, it's like, and so come on, you're going to instruct your mom and your dad. You're going to straighten them out. I mean, come on. And you're going to instruct this old gray headed man that's been around the earth for 74 years and, and you're 19 years old or 22 years old. Come on. So this is the same thing God is saying here to Job. He says, you know, uh, go ahead. I'm going to let you instruct me. I'm going to ask you some questions, though, before you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you at? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding of that. <laughs> well, I don't think Job had an answer for that. Do you? And so his next question, one of his other questions was, he said, Have you ever in your life commanded the morning to appear? Well, I don't hear an answer, Job. Or can you lead forth a constellation? Of the stars in the heavens in their season. Can you do that, Job? Do you know the ordinances of heaven? In other words, there's rules in heaven, in the heavenly creation. Do you know what the rules are, Job? Or can you, or, or can you fix their rule over the earth? How they work with the earth? Can you do that? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water will cover you. In other words, can you command rain, Job? Can you do that, Don Britton? What can you do? I can't do anything apart from him. He even asked Job, he says, can you send forth lightnings in the sky that they may go and say back to you, here we are. Even the lightning communicates with God. He's the Almighty. Who are we? Yet as humans, as mere humans, we often boast in so many things. We're so proud of ourselves. We're so proud. We're so protective of our reputation. What people will think of us, what they might say about us. We're so proud of ourselves because we're so grand and we're so important. And we got so many things to boast about when really we're nothing except a vapor that appears for a little while who only has hope in one thing and that is in the redemption of God for our very souls. So let us watch out that we be not like the world since all it's about is the boastful pride of life. Jeremiah 9 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom, nor let a mighty man boast in his might, nor let a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. James chapter 4, verse 6. 
but He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So watch out. Let not any of us be found being opposed by God because of our pride. So there it is. There it is. You have it. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Watch out. Be careful for it's a slow fade. It's a gradual slipping downward. Just a little at a time. The influence may come from the wrong friends who you're hanging out with, who you want the approval of, or from the appealing of that music that you love so dearly, or from these those enticing games that you want to play, or from the entertainment of movies, or from anything else that the world offers in general. It's all around us and is controlled by the God of this world, Satan. That's why we were warned repeatedly in the scriptures. He said, he told us, he said, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. I've set you aside. I've set you apart. I didn't mean for you to be a part of the world. That's what I've called you for. So he said, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and then I'll be your God and you'll be my people. I'll be your father. You see, we've been bought and paid for with a price. And we've been called to separate ourselves from the world and its influences so that we are not a part of it. I want you to listen to the words of the song that was in the movie Fireproof called Slow Fade. Listen to them. Let them sink in. The song goes like this. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings, be careful, little feet, where you go. For it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. Do you know that everything we do will influence someone else? If we do bad, it will influence for bad. If we do good, it will influence for good. The Lord said, be careful that you never cause a little one to stumble. He warns strongly about that. You see, he go, the song goes on to say, it's a slow fade. When you give yourself away, it's a slow fade. When black and white have turned gray. It should be black and white. It should be yes or no. There should be no compromise in us. No trying to blend the darkness and the light together. It should be just clear as, as it can be. Black or white. Right or wrong. He goes on to say in the song, And thoughts invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. When flattery leads to compromise, the end is always near. Be careful, little lips, what you say. For empty words and promises lead broken hearts astray. It's a slow fade. When you give yourself away, it's a slow fade. When black and white have turned gray and thoughts invade and choices are made, a price will be paid. When you give yourself away, people never crumble in a day. The journey from your mind to your hands is shorter than your thinking. Be careful if you think you stand. You just might be sinking. And it's a slow fade. When you give yourself away, it's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. And thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. People never crumble in a day. 
Daddies never crumble in a day. Families never crumble in a day. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, he said, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So, there you have it. All that's in the world, and we're not supposed to be of this world. We're really supposed to be aliens and strangers. You know, aliens are really strange-looking beings. They're really weird. They don't fit in with society. Be careful that you don't adapt the ways of the world in any part of your life. Make sure that whatever you do, it brings glory to God and brings honor to Him. So let the Lord have His way. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.